It is my job to teach you the word of God. So we go to Psalm 37 tonight to look at a few more points on delighting in the Lord before we separate company. Psalm 37. If there's one thing I'd ever like to do in my life, it's for the Lord to know that I delighted in him above all others. Amen. Not for any glory for myself, but all for him, who is the great Jehovah we just sang about. That's right. Let me read to you the first seven verses. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Amen. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Right. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Amen. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Right. The verse I want you to focus on is that fourth verse, delight thyself also in the Lord. I taught it to you last Sunday morning. The word also is in this verse because of verse 3, that tells us to trust in the Lord, to do good. And so we have the word also because there is a third level. You know, we have a song that we sing sometimes, higher ground, Lord, lift me up to higher ground. And a higher ground than mere faith and a higher ground than just obedience is to delight in the Lord. And we want to do that. And I want to give you a few more points on delighting in the Lord tonight. I want to separate in your minds the great gulf between King Saul, the first king of Israel, and King David, the second king of Israel. One succeeded the other, one actually employed the other, and yet their difference in character is enormous. One pleased the Lord so much that he blessed him forever with a son to sit on his throne. The Lord Jesus Christ was never ashamed to be known as the son of David, even with David's sins. The Lord Jesus Christ was never ashamed to be the son of David. Amen. Because David loved the Lord more than Saul ever dreamed about it. There's no comparison between those two men in their character, and there's no comparison in their blessing. The Lord ground the house of Saul to powder, and he blessed the house of David. Do you remember 2 Samuel 6 and the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant back to Bethlehem, the city of David, where David had erected a tabernacle for it? It had been left and neglected for the 40 years of Saul's reign, but David brought it back. That was 2 Samuel 6 from last Sunday. Why did the man have such a burden to worship God and to move that Ark when his predecessor had left it for 40 years? You know, you don't, if you don't tell me something and forget about it for 40 days, I'll likely forget it. But 40 years is a long time. But David didn't forget. And when he had an opportunity, he moved the ark. 
But brethren, it wasn't enough for him to move it and to put it in a tabernacle that he had prepared for it. He wanted to build a temple for it because it wasn't fair that God would have to be in a tent while he lived in a house. That's David. That is a man who delights in the Lord. His whole soul was gripped with wanting to love the Lord, his creator, and, and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as faintly as he could see him. The son that he was going to have to sit on the Lord's throne forever. I hope you'll never forget 2 Samuel 6 and 7 show us the character of David about his love for the Lord. You can read them at any time, and you can see God, Jehovah, I am that I am, talking back and forth with David like two friends. As the Lord tells David, it never crossed my mind. I've never mentioned to anyone to build me a permanent house. Where did you get this idea? I'm going to build you a house. It's two friends. Who wants to be the friend of God? You'll be the friend of God by delighting in him. Because he wants those that delight in him and glory in him and rejoice in him. We live in a time where men are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You know that it grips your own soul, don't you? Don't you know that this world has a fist around your own heart and it squeezes the life out of it at times and it wants to pull you away from loving the Lord? If you do not know what I'm talking about, then you don't even have a struggle in your life because there is a struggle in the life of every child of God right. in seeking to delight in the Lord because the flesh wants to choke out that fruitfulness. The world wants to steal it. The world wants us chasing their lusts, not the Lord. And the devil wants the same. You have three enemies against you, and one is on the inside. Right. I told you last Lord's Day that the terms the Bible uses, and not, this is not all of them, but it's the chief ones. It's to delight in him. It's to boast in him, to glory in him, rejoice, to be glad, to triumph, to take pleasure, and to find sweetness in the Lord. Let's look at a couple of those, just briefly. How about the word glory? Look at that favorite passage of ours in Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah 9. This is no new passage. This is one you know. But this is the word of God. This is the Lord's written instruction on how we can delight in him. And he draws a great comparison in this passage that is of value to anyone with hearing ears and seeing eyes. Jeremiah 9 and verse 23. Thus saith the Lord. I hope that's enough to get your attention. Anything I have to say is of little value. But thus saith the Lord, and so I give you his word. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. And brethren, there we have a summary of our generation. We have a summary of our nation. Men glorying in these three categories of human accomplishment. Are there those who pride themselves and who look forward to a goal of life to acquire education, wisdom? And yet it says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. To glory in something is to exalt in it, to triumph in it. To be glad in it, very excited about it. And the Lord says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. 
the little tiny bit of wisdom that a man is able to acquire in this world, which cannot be measured compared to his wisdom, is not something to get all that excited about. And yet, look at the billions upon billions that are spent to educate people. And the Bible says, don't glory in that, because that is not a noble goal. Right. Next, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Do we have a nation that is obsessed with larger-than-life sports figures and those who have accomplished things athletically? We do. We're a nation addicted to pleasure. Sports are one of the venues of their religion. And yet the Bible says, if you're taller, stronger, can run faster, or more coordinated, or have a higher vertical jump, none of that matters. And let not a man glory in any of that. That is not worth getting excited about. Then he comes to the third category in Jeremiah 9, 23. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. And for those who are not seeking advanced degrees for their own glory, and those who are not athletically minded for their own glory, the geeks. Sometimes the geeks will find their playing field on which they can get personal glory, and that's to make money. And they'll want to get out there and make money because that's their contest that they enjoy, and they get all their pleasure out of making money. So we, these three categories take in almost the entire nation. Glorying in education, athletic accomplishments, or financial accomplishments. And the Lord said, do not glory in these things. Amen. Let not a man who has any one of these three glory in one of those things. Right. So we come to the 24th verse. But let him that glorieth glory in this. Do you want something to get excited about? Amen. Do you really want something to get excited about? Is it because you see some great athlete dominate his opponent? Is it because you see an exceedingly rich man who can buy out all his competitors and put them out of business? Is it because you see some man so wise he can answer most of the questions of his colleagues? Here's something to get excited about. Jeremiah 9, 24. Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's something to get excited about, that you understand that Jehovah is God. How many are in India tonight? One, big one, one billion. Do they know that Jehovah is God? They do not. They have millions of gods. The chief three are Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva. They do not know Jehovah. Right. You do. That's something to get excited about, Amen. that we understand and know me. Do you hear the Lord? Thus saith the Lord. Do you want something to get excited about? That you understand and know me. Amen. I am an infinite, an infinite measure of pleasure and an object for glorying that will exceed anything you can ever find in this world. If you want something to glory in and to exalt in and to triumph in, make it your knowledge and understanding of me. This is Jeremiah 9.24. This is what I mean by delighting in him. This is the Lord saying, I should be your object of greatest pleasure. Right. What else does it say about him? That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. 
for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Amen. What is a man who really delights in the Lord? He delights in knowing the Lord himself, and that the Lord delights in those three things of loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Right. We know the great and infinite God that created us and created the whole world. We know his character, that he is full of loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. Has he been loving and kind to you? Amen. Has he been fair and equitable in his judgments in your life? Amen. In his dealings with you? Has he, is he righteous, absolutely righteous and pure of all sin? We can delight in him. There's a verse. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, they're precious. And there's instruction on what we ought to be excited about. Amen. You know, the Apostle Paul would come along, and I do want you to see it with your eyes. The retention is 60% higher when you see and hear at the same time. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We are blessed. The Apostle Paul had to preach to people that did not have the printed page in front of them. They had to search the scriptures daily in the synagogue or in the temple. Or maybe if they were wealthy, like the Ethiopian eunuch, you could buy a scrap of it. But they weren't floating around at the dollar store for a buck apiece. Do you know you can buy a King James Bible at the dollar store for a buck? What a great nation we live in. Amen. We didn't always have that, but I want you to see this verse. This is our brother Paul. Paul would accept an assembly like this. Paul would sit with us and sing. Paul would pray with us. The great apostle to the Gentiles. Here's what he said, Galatians 6.14. But God forbid, that's the strongest language the New Testament has to say no. But God forbid that I should glory, that I should ever get excited, that I should ever triumph, that I should ever exalt about anything other than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The world no longer means anything to me, because the cross of Christ is everything, and I am worth nothing to this world because of my dedication to the cross of Christ. They have no use for me. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we get excited about a lot of things, don't we? Now, next Sunday night, guess what we get to do? We get to come to the Lord's table and remember the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Is that just another event in the church? Or do you glory in that cross? God help us. That's what I want to give you a few sentences about. We want to delight in that supper, right. not just go through it. We want to delight in it. Paul said in the strongest of language, I never want to get excited about anything but the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. It has blown away the whole world to me, and as far as that world's concerned, it's blown me away from them. It's the great dividing factor between them and their lusts and me and my pleasures. They're totally different now because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the use of the word glory as a verb. When you glory in something, you're very excited about it. How about another word? Let's come back to Psalm 68 and verse 3 and look at the word rejoice. This morning we sang a song, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Lift up your heart. Lift up your voice and rejoice. We sang those words. 
Psalm 68 and verse 3, look what it says. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. These are words to us from the Lord. This is from heaven. This is what he tells us is the purpose for our lives. Right. To rejoice in him and not barely to rejoice, but to exceedingly rejoice. To rejoice is to be this, is the same thing as to glory in something. It's to be full of joy and happiness and excitement about some particular thing. And you want to dwell on it and take pleasure from it. To rejoice in it. And look what the righteous do. They take pleasure before the Lord in rejoicing in Him. Amen. Now let me show you my favorite passage using this word. I like Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 about the word glory. But look at Habakkuk. The little book of Habakkuk. Right. And what it has to say about the word rejoice. It's toward the end of your Old Testament. About seven books back or so. Don't count and don't email me. I think it's about seven back. The little book of Habakkuk. Look at how this book ends. And I hope you love these verses. And I hope you can understand this is how this prophet closes out his, epist his book. The last three verses. I've mentioned them to you before. But rejoice in them with me. Some of you have problems in your life. Let's see if I can outdo your problems in verse 17. Habakkuk 3.17 Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. That is hard times. That is the hardest of times. Six descriptive clauses about total economic failure. Although these things might be true, yet, in the 18th verse, I will rejoice in the Lord. Amen. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Notice where his joy was. He didn't care about the things. He didn't care about the money. He didn't care about the collapse of everything that he had put his efforts into. Brethren, I can't go through each phrase, but when it says, the labor of the olive shall fail, that means he had worked very hard to try to get some success and produce out of his olives. But the labor failed. He didn't get anything back for it. This whole, verse 17 is horrible. Verse 18 is wonderful. Amen. In spite of all that, he said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Obviously, it's not in the Lord's blessings. It's in the Lord himself. Amen. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Because no matter what happens to the things we have, we still have one thing that can never be taken away from us, and that is our eternal life and the eternal inheritance we have in heaven. And it's only because we get our eyes down from heaven upon this life that that no longer is as meaningful to us as it should be. If we got our eyes up upon that, and thought about heavenly things and the day of judgment to come, we would be thankful for the God of our salvation. Right. And we could rejoice no matter what happened to our economic well-being. Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet 
like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. This is a man who's happy. He's going to be like a female deer. That's a hind. A female red deer after the third year. A light creature, light of foot. For those of you who are deer hunters, I can only go by what I've seen on television. But for those of you that are deer hunters, they're, they're light, they're smaller frame than a buck, and they can go over a fence like they're gliding over it because they're light of feet. This man is going to be light on his feet. He's going to be like a hind, a female deer. He's going to be on his high places. He's going to be enjoying the good life, right. even though verse 17 is true about him because the Lord is his strength. And then God has him write these words to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Amen. Take this one up and play it and sing it. Somebody ought to put those three verses to music. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. That's rejoicing in the Lord. Do you know in the New Testament, Peter would say about the Lord Jesus Christ? Yep, we're going to look at it. I just saw your comprehension running down. 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, do you remember in school when you had reading comprehension on your report card? You had reading, could, could you pronounce the words and spit them out? Then you had reading comprehension, how, many could you how much could you remember later when you were asked about what you read? Two very different things. Now I can spit the words out for you, but I want you to comprehend them by absorbing them and thinking about what it actually says, right. and it's improved if you look at it. 1 Peter 1.8, whom having not seen. Yes, I used it last Sunday. Do you think I forgot? I didn't forget. It's too good. Whom having not seen, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. To know the Lord Jesus Christ and to set him as the object of your affection and your delight and your glory and your rejoicing, it's called here joy unspeakable. You can't even define it. You can't qualify it. You can't explain it. You can't really describe it. It's too good. When your heart is right with the Lord Jesus Christ, though we haven't seen him, we rejoice and we love him. And we have joy unspeakable, and it brings us full of glory. We are just full of the exaltation of triumph and boasting because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now we can see those things in the Bible. And for, I hope that all of us know that at times in our lives we have had those, we have had that glory. But that glory doesn't stay all the time. And so tonight, I want to tell you that the Bible teaches us how to get it back. Remember Revelation chapter 2? When you lose your first love, remember, which is what I was just doing by reading these passages. Have you ever felt like that at times? Remember, repent. Ask God to forgive you for being such a neglectful, foolish, world-loving fool to forgive you and to show you his son again. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Repent and do the first works. Right. Every man and every woman knows exactly what those verses mean if I was to apply it to marriage. Remember from whence thou art fallen. You can think back to the hot and heavy days of the person you're married to. To repent is to say I am wrong in letting those days disappear. 
to do the first works is to go back and do what you did in the beginning to get her the first time, or to go back and do what you did in the beginning to get him the first time. That is not deep. It is not difficult. And God does not make it so complex that we cannot be in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and rejoicing and triumphing in him again. It's right. actually quite simple. Do you know what the only hurdle we have to get over is? Do you know what the only one is? It's stubbornness. Do you know what another one might be? Selfishness. How about another one? Pride. We don't want to humble ourselves. But it's right there. You know what we've already had mentioned tonight, Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear and open the door, I will come into him. It is that simple. Remember, repent, and do the first works. And we apply the very same thing to our relationship with God. If you can remember that you once went with the congregation on a holy day, and you were very excited to worship him, and your worship is no longer that good, you should be asking yourself like David did, O oh my soul, why art thou cast down, O oh my soul? You should remember, you should repent, and do the first works. Right. What are some of those first works? Let me tell you just briefly. First works. The Bible tells you to be still. Do you know what this society has done to us? It has got us so busy and running so hard and so fast to get so much done that we never have any time for what he says is the most important time, to be still. I forgot the rest of that verse. Son, you say it's your favorite verse. What is it? It is your favorite verse, isn't it? Do you think the favorite verse of sons means anything to a father? Be still and know that I am God. And you know what? Our lives are so full of noise and my life gets as full of noise as anyone's in, anyone in here. And even though I'm doing so much in this every day, I can speak to you exactly about what I'm talking about. Because I want to delight in him. And, and I get so caught up in all the things I need to be doing that I don't have time to remember the first works and to do them. The first thing is to be still. This world, if you've got a musical play, if you've got a noise-making machine in your automobile, it better be on noise that pleases the Lord. Because when, you've, when you have that time in that automobile, which I don't have very much anymore, I used to, you better use that time to be still and know that he is God. Because the first thing you've got to do is shut down all the activity that is appealing to our simple minds. You know, you can go around and tell me that you're multi-tracked, I can tell you that I have a multi-track mind. Yes, I can be thinking about what you're thinking right now while I'm talking, but big deal. You get two or three things going in my life, and I forget about the Lord. Right. And you know you're the same way, Amen. because we're not still enough. I wish we didn't have electricity. I wish we didn't have automobiles, and I wish we didn't have telephones. Then we'd be forced to sit at home on winter nights like this, wouldn't we? I don't, don't send me emails. Please. Yes, electricity is nice. Yes, I'm thankful to live in America and have a car. What I meant was all those things keep us going much beyond the farmers that came before us. Right. We'd be forced to come inside. Nothing grows during the winter. We'd be forced by candlelight to sit and look at the word of God if we had it and we loved him. 
and there wouldn't be any noise to distract us. The kids aren't turning on the television because there isn't one. And they're not running their remote little cars under my feet while I'm trying to read because there are no remote control cars. They're not telling me they're going off to play basketball and can they borrow the car because there is no basketball for boys to play. Naismith isn't even a gleam in any man's eye and there's no car for them to drive. And so men can sit and be still and realize that if God does not bring spring back and seed time and harvest, we will starve. If God does not provide game, if God does not provide our animals to reproduce, we will starve. And so you trust the Most High and you can be still and you can look in His Word and you can think about it. But we're going, 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 going the treadmill. And we keep pressing it up and the world keeps pressing it up and we ought to, we first of all have to slow down and be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46 and verse 10. I have to tell you that. That is first. Then you've got to go into his word. Where will you find out about this God? Don't, yes, you can do it walking through the forest glade. You can wander through the forest glades and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. And there is some value in doing that. But the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed right here. There is a blessing from lofty mountain grandeur as we sing in the song, How Great Thou Art. But the greatest blessing is in the Word of God where it tells us much more about Him. Amen. Who would ever see the things that Moses saw when God passed by and showed him his backsides without the Word of God? How would we know how important loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness is to the Lord without the precious Scriptures? How would we see the tender kindness of the Lord in the way he's treated his saints for 6,000 years without the Bible? You have to read it. But do you know what the truth is? You're too busy to read it. You're too tired at night to read it. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at us. I'm mad at this world. We don't read it enough. Right. We need to be still. We need to have quiet time where we can get the word of God and read it and love every word and sentence of it and delight in it. It's really simple. Are you going to make changes in your life to do it? That's all that it matters. I can't do it for you. I can't help you delight in the Lord, but I can tell you how to do it. Be still and use the precious word of God. You need to spend time in it. This is not reading Jonathan Crosby's proverb every day. This is not what I'm talking about. That proverb is to teach you wisdom. That gets its own 10 minutes a day. You've got 1,440 minutes a day. Surely you can have 10 for the proverb and 10 for seeking the Lord. It's to get away and to dive into this Bible and to go to places to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and to see his glory. It's to go, listen, how can you read Revelation 19, 11 through 16, the scene where Jesus Christ is on a white horse and we're on white horses behind him. How can you read those verses in quiet and not get excited. Amen. How can you read through them very carefully and, say, and imagine? Because reading is high-speed decoding. Reading is taking little English marks on a piece of paper and de decoding them into a mental image and to see the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glorious splendor with that two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, which represents his word and him smiting the nations, and he's dipped in a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, and he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you look at that picture, and by faith, your faith is increased because the, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You read the word of God, your faith is built, you want to delight in that Lord Jesus Christ. 
You want to be in that army that follows behind him. You realize all of a sudden there's no one in this world that can compare to that figure. Right. All in 10 minutes. But you know what? Your 1,440 is already spent, isn't it? You really wish you had 1,880 because you have more things you'd like to do in your 24 hours. Isn't that pitiful? This is a daily battle for me. Maybe none of you have a battle with it. Maybe you're all sitting there thinking we all need to have a special prayer meeting for our pastor so that he can delight in the Lord like we do. Maybe none of you have this, have this problem. You know what? I've always got one more email to write. Do you know that? I always have one more to write. I write 20 a day. I always have more emails to write. I always have something else that needs to be studied. I always have another question that needs to be answered. That is not what I'm talking about. That is my work, and my work needs to be put aside to delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you put your work aside with me for a few minutes a day to seek him on our knees in, his pa in the pages of Scripture, being still to delight in the Lord our God? You know, my dad wanted to read for Thanksgiving that story about Jehoshaphat going out to battle against that great enemy and having the singers out in front. Amen. He could hardly get it out. He was so excited. He, you know, what, why was that passage so exciting to him? Because he'd read it and thought on it. Right. And listen, some of those Bible stories, that's Old Testament. Austin, you can get excited about that. Second Chronicles chapter 17, it's fantastic. Jehoshaphat didn't know what he was going to do. The Lord said, since you don't know what to do, I'll do it for you. Stand still and see the salvation of God. Amen. And he sent singers out saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. My dad had a hard time getting it out. I saw. I know you, dad. That's the kind of reading we need to do. Amen. Where we're delighting in what a God. What a blessed God just to praise his mercy and he wins the victory for us. You better love coming to his assemblies. Right. Do you know why these assemblies exist? It's for men like Asaph. Was Asaph a pretty, did, did Asaph delight in the Lord? Would David have ever promoted him to be his chief song, lever, song leader and musician if he wasn't a man who delighted in the Lord like David? Not a chance. Asaph wrote Psalm 73. And he says, my feet had well nigh slipped. I had forgot my whole perspective of things. I looked at the prosperity of the wicked, and I said, this whole religious thing is not worth it. And you read down through it, and he's explaining all the wicked thoughts that were flowing through him. There's no reason to go through this cleansing of my hands and trying to live a holy life, because look at these people who are not living a holy life. They look like they're getting along right well. What was the cure for him? Does anybody know the cure for Asaph in Psalm 73? Until I, went, until I went into the sanctuary, then understood I their end. Lord, I was an ignorant beast. Okay, where, how did he get changed like that? By coming into the assembly preparing to, prepared to hear. And he heard the message, this life is not where it's all at. And he listened to that and he said, what? Why did I get all caught up in this world? And that's the psalm that ends with the words, Whom have I in heaven but thee? Amen. And there is none that I desire 
on earth beside thee. My heart faileth, but the Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Where did he get that? By coming into the assembly, hearing, and going out of the assembly, changed because of what he heard. Fourth, to meditate on God's word. Look at Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Now I've sort of covered this already, so I'll be brief. But I said, first, to be still. Two, to get into the word of God. Three, to come to his assemblies. Four, to meditate on God's word. What does it mean to meditate? It means don't speed read to check off a box on a Bible reading chart. It means to read the words slowly and to think about them very thoughtfully and prayerfully and personally with the God who wrote them. Those words on that page were written by God to you. Right. It's not just some religious textbook. Those are personal words. And so when you get alone, you can read. I'm picking on you tonight, right, Andrea? This is the last time you'll ever sit in the front row. I'll find you in the second row. You're not in trouble. Everyone, do we all know that? These words are personal right. from God to each of us. There's one big, you know, when I write a letter, it's very narrow-minded because it's going to be from me to one person. There's, there's a God that has an infinite mind. He's able to write a letter to all of us in all of our varying experiences and situations, circumstances, and levels of understanding and speak to all of us with the same verses. Right. That is wisdom. Amen. And that is the word of God. Right. Meditate on it. Look at what it says in Psalm 63 at verse 5. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Stephen Eastland, are we as fat as we should be? Do you remember? You said you were going to be fatter than me. I said I was going to be fatter than you. Are we as fat as we should be? We're not. I want to be fatter. I want to outfat you. I want you to try to outfat me. Fatness in the Bible is a good thing. Forget our society. Weight Watchers doesn't know what they're talking about when it comes to fat. Fat in the Bible was always something good. And you know what I want that's fat? My soul. I want your souls to be fat. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. This sounds like what we're looking for, doesn't it? Doesn't verse 5 sound like what we're looking for? Being filled with fatness in our soul, with joyful lips, wanting to praise the Lord. Is that delighting in Him? Amen. Is 63.5 delighting in Him? It doesn't end with a period. It's going to tell us how to get it. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. I will get that way when I take the time to remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. To stop and think about God. But you know, we go to bed when we're too tired. Or we've got too many things on our mind. And here is something that can be done in bed. I know this verse is true. And I know that Job 33 that says that God comes and speaks to people in the night while they're in bed and keeps them back from sin and teaches them things that they cannot forget. In that bed, I know that that's true. This is true right here. The bed is one of my favorite places to talk to the Lord. You know why? Because there's no phone in bed. There's no computer in bed. And there's no kids in my bed in spite of what the Bible says about a man being in bed with his children. There's none of those things in my bed. And I'm able to talk to the Lord 
in a more uninterrupted way. But there's the verses right there. Be still. If you want me to email these out tomorrow, I'll do it. Be still and know that I am God. Get into the Word of God. Take some minutes every day to do that. What is 1% of your day's time? I forgot. 14 minutes and 40 seconds. 1% to give the Lord out of your day is 14 minutes. That is nothing. And we squander it. We suck it down ourselves every day. 14 minutes. Be still. Get into the Word of God. Come to His assemblies looking to be corrected. Meditate. Think upon His Word thoughtfully, even if it's in the night. Think upon Him in the night. The Bible then goes on to say in other places to talk of it. To speak of it. You know, when, when you go to somebody else and you talk about the, the goodness of something, it will encourage you about that particular thing. And the Bible wants us to do that. The Lord's got His book of remembrance about those who speak on the things of the Lord. Go to someone else and talk about them. It forces you to get involved in that subject. Right. Instead of it just laying there dormant in, inside you, get it out. You'll encourage someone else. Remember when I read Psalm 34 last Sunday evening? We'll make our boast in the Lord together. The, hum the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. It will have a contagious effect and if we were all doing it, it would help us all delight in the Lord more. If whenever we met, do you know there's one verse that says, and see, I'm not giving you the verses, but there's a verse that says, the righteous, in an effort to show this glory and spread it broadly, will go everywhere saying, let the Lord be magnified. Let the Lord be magnified. Let the Lord be magnified. That ought to be coming out of our lips all the time. In the appropriate place. And it does. Some of you say that often, but we want to speak of it. Right. Listen, when anything good happens to any of you, I already know what you do. You talk about it. Whenever there's anything in your life that you're very excited about, you talk about it. And so we talk about the Lord, and it has an effect in our lives and in the lives of others. Then we pray for it. Look at Psalm 85. Psalm 85 to delight in the Lord, because we lose it. We lose our first love, and we want it back. Psalm 85 and verse 6. Look at this prayer. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Lord, we need you to revive us again, that we can rejoice in thee. To revive is to give life to him again. How many times, how many times did David pray, quicken me, O Lord? Quicken me, make me alive. Now, he was already born again, but he needed to have life back in this personal relationship with God in delighting in him. There it is. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Amen. Look at 101 2. Psalm 101 2. Oh, I've preached this one to you a couple years ago. This is one of our theme psalms. We're going to give God a holy life, and we're going to ask him to come to us because of it. Psalm 101.2, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. That is a glorious verse. You want a verse to get right with the Lord again? You give him holiness, and he'll come to you. Look what David sandwiched around his request and his question 
Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? Look what he gave him. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Even at home, where we let our hair down. You know the expression, when we're at home, we let our hair down, that is, we relax. Look what David's saying. Even at home, in my house, in my heart, I will behave myself perfectly. I will commit myself to holiness. Will you come to me? And the Lord Jesus has come to us. Because we committed ourselves to some of these things, we all know that we could do better. But I'll tell you, if you make a commitment to holiness, because that is the beauty in which God is worshipped, he will come to his people. They've all, he's always come when right. people have humbled themselves and lived holy lives. If your praying isn't getting it done, then fast for it. Are we talking about something that deserves a fast? Amen. Absolutely. Fast for it. Deny yourself some pleasures like eating to spend more time praying for the Lord to restore that relationship that you had with him. Number eight, get yourself away someplace and get yourself a songbook and find your favorite songs about the Lord and sing. If your singing is so horrible that even you don't, you don't think there's even a melody coming out of your heart, then let someone else sing it off a CD or a tape to you while you look at the words and you get into the words and voice them to God and sing praise to his name. David used a harp to drive evil spirits away from King Saul. The Bible is full of singing examples of men using singing. The Bible tells us, if you're married, sing psalms. Well, when I see that, if I want to get married, I'm going to get around some psalm singing too. Get some music into your life that worships God because that's what heaven is full of. Those, those men that have gone on before us, the spirits of just men made perfect, are enjoying music that praises the Lord. Amen. Get some music and sing praise to his name. It will lift you very rapidly. That's why we sing when we come together. The eight things that I've given you, be still. Get into the word of God. Come to his assemblies. We have them for this very purpose. Meditate upon his word. Talk of it to others. Pray for it. Fast for it. And sing. Would to God there be some Enochs in this congregation that walked with God and had this testimony that they pleased God. Would to God there were some young men in this congregation like Joshua. When Moses and Joshua went into the tabernacle, two and a half million Israelites watching, and the glory of God came down in the tabernacle, and God spoke to Moses face to face. Then it says Moses turned and came back into the camp. But Joshua would not leave the tabernacle. There's only a few men like that in the history of the world. And God has been kind enough, kind enough to us that tonight we are not talking about our church business of building a basketball arena or evangelizing the world, but God has sent us another reminder, you and me, that we ought to be delighting in him and we can choose to be Joshua. Joshua made a choice. Moses can go and do whatever he wants to go and do. I'm going to stay right here because I just saw God talking face to face with my master and I want that. 
And the Bible tells us that in Exodus chapter 33. There's more that could be said. Are there any Joshua's here? It is a choice. I can't make it for you. Your parents can't make it for you. And as soon as you go through those doors, the world and the devil and your flesh are going to assault you against this goal. May the Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on your souls. And may every one of you keep your hearts with all diligence and seek to delight in him.